Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. Hello. It's going to be a double act. We have two sets of notes, two Bibles, two microphone, and one stand. It's by unity. So, so like last week, there's two speakers, but unlike last week, we're kind of we're aiming for a bit more conversational kind of back and forth, sharing our thoughts and our hearts. Um, and the topic for this week is households and families in acts and the role they had. So, would you like to start? <laughs> Seamless. I, I love how I ask, am I on? And most half of you say yes, and half of you say no. That's really helpful. Thanks, guys. Am I on? Yeah. Oh, now you're all saying yes. Okay. No, some people are saying no. No, brilliant. Even more encouraging. <laughs> Laura and I have something in common. We're both from big households. Um, how many siblings do you have, Laura? I have one brother, which is quite normal, but I have eight sisters. Who are not normal. <laughs> <laughs> They're all very lovely. And I have five sisters and two brothers, uh, and me. So, so between us, that's We have a fair share of family of experience. <laughs> one of my, um, and, and I've been part of this church in its various forms for over 30 years. Uh, in fact, when I... Um, gave my life to the Lord, as we used to say in the 80s. <laughs> um, Jenny Wigglesworth was just a baby. Yeah. yeah. Rachel Elliott Downing was just Rachel Elliott. And she was a very gorgeous teenager, I have to say. <laughs> and um, yeah, I grew up um, in my teen years in, in Whitley Bay. Um, but before that, I lived in Northumberland and um, I was just thinking about my household, my big household. And we, we grew up without a TV, which might explain the big household. Um, we didn't have a TV either. Well, there you, there you go. <laughs> but um, another aspect of not having a TV was I, I learned to read really quick, and, and I was a prolific reader. I used to love um, my fortnightly trips to the library. Every two or three weeks I went to the library with my ticket and I got the maximum number of books. I used to usually get about three novels and uh, an Asterix book or a Tintin book. That was my kind of light reading on the way home. <laughs> and, uh, and, a, and a non-fiction book as well, just to balance it out. But uh, I used to particularly lap up uh, novels, you know, works of fiction. And... Um, one thing I, I realized about myself was that I would often get uh, bored halfway through a novel. Uh, and I realize now it's because um, I really love how stories open and develop because you get, to, you get to know the characters. And usually there are more intricacies in, in getting to know the characters in the first half of a book. The second half of a book, book is where the, the pace picks up and the, and the plot continues and things are resolved, you know, you catch the bad guy or whatever, solve the mystery. And 
I, I used to love finding out about the characters and the setting so much that I actually preferred most stories in, in the first half. In fact, um, I quite often give up on a book halfway through. I don't know if you do the same. I certainly give up on movies when it gets to something like a car chase because I find that quite predictable and dull. Um, so I love discovering characters and, and setting. Why am I sharing this with you? Well, um, when I read acts, I find it quite hard to, to stick with acts. Not because it's not exciting, it's really exciting. Not because there's not lots of things happening, there are loads of things happening. But because I don't really get much insight into the lives of the characters. And the, and the subtle, invisible things, the things that are in households, in homes, the, you know, what they ate, uh, how many people were in their families, who their parents were, where they came from, where they went to, what happened in those two years Paul spent in such and such a place. All of those things are not really described in Acts. I'm not saying that, that uh, it's not a, a, a good book, but actually it's not a, it's not a work of fiction, so... I, uh, I can't really compare it to, to reading a novel. But um, I, find, I find it hard work to read Acts and really get to know the characters. So what Laura and I have done is we've, we've read through a number of times and we've, we've, we want to bring to you today uh, kind of the lives of some of the characters in Acts, uh, particularly to do with households. Um, so we've got three characters that we've picked on. Um, and like Richard said, that there isn't much detail about the characters. You have to go digging to find a bit more about them. Um, so our famous three are Timothy, Cornelius and Lydia. And there's each one of them have something different about them. Um, why we chose to speak about them when we talk about households. And I guess Timothy, he's kind of probably the most famous one. He went and travelled with Paul. He co-authored six of the letters, which kind of coming from an academic background, when somebody allows you to be co-author, it's a big thing. Um, so the fact that Paul allowed Timothy to be co-author on six of his letters just talks about the significance of Timothy in Paul's life. Um, but the reason why we are talking about Timothy is the generational blessing Timothy had in his life. Um, it, I think, is in one of the letters to Timothy, or acts one or the other. Um, Paul just mentioned how from a very young age, Timothy was absorbed in the Holy Scriptures. Mm. That reading the, what would have been them, them being the Old Testament was very much part of Timothy's daily life. And anybody who's had kids, kids don't read when they're little. So if, if you want somebody to be absorbed in something from a very young age, it takes ownership from the parents to instill that love for scripture in them. And in Timothy's case, it mentioned both his mother and grandmother. And how Paul goes to say that first the grandmother and mother had the faith, and then it got passed on to Timothy. So there is something about the generational blessing of having parents who almost install faith or sow faith into their children, and that grows. Hmm. So he's character number one. Um, have you gone? Some of that, and Timothy, or shall I just rattle through? Rattle through. Fantastic. And okay. um, second person was Cornelius in Acts 10. Um, David mentioned the vision of um, coming down from heaven when he spoke week two, whenever 
some time ago. Um, so Peter has this amazing vision, he, or he's hungry, so he sends somebody to prepare food. And while he's waiting for the food to appear, he has this vision of food being lowered down from heaven, only it's unclean. It's food that he, as a good Jew, wasn't supposed to eat. And the same thing happens three times. But what he doesn't know, in um, other parts of Israel, there's an Italian centurion who was God-fearing man, so he, he, he was living the lifestyle of a Jew, even though he was a Roman centurion. He had a vision, and in the vision, the angel said, go to Joppa and ask for this man and get him to come to you. So he did. He went, went to his servants, and uh, I think it was two servants and a faithful soldier who was devout as well. And he shared with the servants and the soldier everything that had happened, rather than just ordering and saying, kind of, go and get so-and-so. He shared the encounter he had had with these people and sent them on their way to get Peter. Um, and they duly arrive, and Peter has been told by God, these people will arrive, just go with them. Um, and as they come back, Cornelius has gathered his whole household and friends together in one place, and they all receive what Peter has to share with them. And more amazingly, they, as Peter is speaking, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's a household number two. Um, household number three is Lydia, who was a um, purple... Seller of. That's the one. Purpura Sometimes there's just a block and I just remember one word, and it's the one, not the one that everybody understands. Um, but he was, she was a businesswoman, and again, there's a little detail, it says uh, she lived in Philippi, um, and then it talks about Peter and Silas going on a Sunday, or um, Sabbath, going to the riverside. But what, what it doesn't tell, Philippi wasn't actually a big enough city to have a synagogue. You need to have 10 married Jewish men in a place in order to build a synagogue. And in Philippi, there weren't enough. So what the custom was is you would go on, on Sabbath, you would go and pray in a certain place. And usually the preferred location was by a river of, of, of running water. So Paul and Silas went to the riverside and started talking to these women who were there praying. And Lydia was one of them, and her whole household got converted. So that's a very brief whistle-top tour of the three. Well, I think I'll come back to them because I had lots of things about them. What we've both been struck by is that when the apostles moved around from place to place and spread out and, and went to other countries and islands and um, they weren't on some crusade, they weren't um, kind of moving out and out and out into the wilderness, they, they were often going to places that were expecting them or places that already had households of believers, they were, they were, so it implies that there was this network of communication and relationship and connection already. Uh, and yes, they forged a lot of that, but, but there's, a, there's a wonderful sense, if you read between the lines, that, that um, people were connected and, and valued that connection. They were connected often in households, and they valued that. Uh, yes, it doesn't describe it in great detail, but, but there's a real sense that that was important. And actually, that, that, um, 
that importance is just as relevant today as it was then. And I, I take great heart in that. You know, I take great heart in that the acts of the apostles uh, came from a place of, of belonging and being uh, and connection and relationship. Um, so, so it's a sense of uh, that, first of all, being helps you to do the doing, you know. Uh, and I think that's really significant and, and relevant to today. You know, churches, like any organization, can become very much about doing uh, and acts. Um, and if the doing is not from a place of being, we, we can burn out, we can get frustrated, we can fail with each other, we can get disconnected from each other. Uh, so I think there's a real, um, real sense from Acts of the Impossible, uh, Impossibles, <laughs> the Acts of the uh, maybe Acts of the Apostles, that that it's also the the being of the apostles. You know, it's the being of the apostles, the being of households, the being of families, the being of friendships that 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 uh, fired and and powered the doing, the acts of apostles, and I think the same could be said of, of today. And I love the way how they went to a place where there was an openness, and like Richard said, there was a, they were God-fearing, so they would be following the scriptures, they would be reading the scriptures, and there was almost, there was a crown that had been prepared. If you, if you think back to the parable Jesus told of the different soils, and how if you soil on the rocky crown and thorny crown, you don't really get good return, whereas if you sow on a crown that has been ploughed, and it's fertile, the return is much better. And the early church, they very much took advantage of that. They would go to places where there was an openness. They would go to places where people were already after God. But what they hadn't realized was Jesus was the Messiah. And I love with Cornelius how he had the vision, and he was actually mentions in Acts 10 that he was known for his good deeds. He was known as a God-fearing person, even though he wasn't a Jew. Sorry, Felix distracted me there. But I love the way how he once the angel appeared and said, go and send for this man. Off he sent his servants. But while the servants were away getting Peter, what he did, he got busy and he got all of his friends and family together in one place. And it's not like he could just send the WhatsApp and say, come to my house, somebody's coming over, it's very important. He would have to either physically go himself or send somebody else physically to go and get the people and get them to come to his house. And he almost, to me, as I was reading it, um, gave the impression that that was something that he was used to doing. He was used to having all of these people together to mm. read the scripture because that would have been culturally thing yeah. they did. Would be, they would be getting together. So in a way, he was just carrying on what he was doing, but he knew it was something really important because he'd had the vision when the angel appeared. Um, but I, there was also a very practical side of me thinking because he didn't, it turns out Peter invited the people to stay overnight with him and then travelled the following day. Um, but it's not like they could just send a text and say, sorry, we'll be a bit later. So Cornelius would have gathered all these people and they would have been just waiting and waiting and waiting without knowing when, if this person would come. Um, but then when Peter does arrive, um, I'll read it out because... There we are, somewhere. It's 
So, talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are all well aware that it is against our law for Jews, blah, blah, blah. So Peter is saying, I'm actually breaking the law to be here. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objections. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembers your gift to the poor. Send a chopper for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest and blah, blah, blah. So, the, yeah. <laughs> so I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And that was the line that really struck me. Now we are all here mm. in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And he had got all of these, he said it was a large crowd. So Peter would have walked in, all he knew was this person had a vision, and he mm. walks in, and it would probably be about this amount of people if you imagine Cornelius had few kids, few servants, and his friends. So mm. it probably would be easily 50 people in a room waiting for him to arrive. Yeah. Um, but I just love that there's, some, there's something about the readiness and the preparedness yeah. of the households. And we talked about it earlier, there is almost a climate in the household that allows the way for the Holy Spirit to come and break through. Yeah. That there's something that has been cultivated in those households that the apostles went to that opened the way. Mm. That, that's, um, that climate, um, you know, how do you bring about that climate in your household? A climate of, of readiness to receive uh, more from God? H how do you bring about that, that, that culture in our church, in our households? Um, and I think there's something about um, being. There's something about being before you start doing. Um, being a family, being um, one with God, being, you know, uh, we, we are human beings, we're, we're not human doings. <laughs> um, I remember when, I've got three sons, uh, Joseph, Louis and Reuben, I don't know why I had to count them on my fingers. Um, sometimes you do though with kids, don't you? You end up calling them the wrong names and stuff. Um, and, and Reuben and Louis were, were part of a, a youth group, for, for want of a better name, that David and Laura used to host at their house. And, um, and Ronnie Brown and I used to take turns taking the boys, uh, because they went, went with Matty Johnson. Uh, we used to take turns, do swap shifts, didn't we, Ronnie? Uh, dropping them off and then picking them up uh, afterwards from Monkseaton. And um, I don't know about you, Ronnie, but sometimes... I used to go, uh, not in the best of frame, frames of mind, and I used to kind of not resent having to take them and then pick them up again afterwards, but um, conversations in the car on the way back were often about, well, how was it? What did you do? You know, what did you do? And the boys would always respond, yeah, it was good, it was fine. You know, typical teenage boy response. And when I said, what did you do? The, the response was usually nothing much. <laughs> and I used to think, you mean to say I've given up my evening, <laughs> etc., etc. You know, tired, grumpy dad. I learned over the weeks, over the months, that actually the nothing much was uh, exactly the ingredient uh, through which relationships were forged. 
you know, my boys uh, and, and Matty and Paul Warwick and other, other uh, young people got a lot from that group, but it wasn't about doing stuff necessarily. It was about being together uh, and the relationships they forged and the, the, the kind of father and mother's heart that they received from David and Laura were, was so much more precious than if they'd done an activity every time they met together. They learned how to be, not how to do. And that's really stuck with me, you know, as, as something valuable, something that we should uh, treasure and cultivate and nurture in our households. It taught me a lot. We usually used to start every evening with the phrase, we haven't got a plan. <laughs> <laughs> but we did usually have a vague plan. But I think for us, it was kind of, we did kind of go through a phase of thinking, we should be doing something, we should be doing something. <laughs> Probably because I was <laughs> dropping the boys off with a really grumpy face. <laughs> but then over, it, it did just evolve to us being, and it, it was part of it, it was just hosting what we do as a family yeah. with people who were, became part of our family for the season. And that was kind of, the, it kind of, I had... Uh, God quite often gives me little questions to kind of ponder over and give to you guys to ponder over. And one of the questions I had when I was preparing is, what's the prevailing weather system in your family? Is it sunshine with occasional rain or is it constant thunderstorm? What, what's the atmosphere in your house? And I think for us with the youth group, it was very much about opening our house, our home, and becoming family, and they meant they kind of, they were part of the family for how many years we did it. But there was part of it that I, it's kind of the word intentional is not my favorite word. I'm in the kind of non-intentional camp. But there was side of it that we were very purposeful about just being ourselves and opening our home. And as I'd be reading the reading Acts, one of the things that comes through in all of, all of, or most of the stories is that always everybody, all, is not just a selected few. Mm. There was, everybody was there. Everybody was welcome. And as the households were converted, it was the whole household with Cornelius, every, all who were there received the Holy Spirit. So there's something about being inclusive and being open that God just loves. That it's not about just the selected few, because I guess that's what the Jews struggled with. They'd been the chosen gen nation for generations and generations. And then suddenly the door was flung wide open and everybody was welcomed in. And it's kind of, you do feel a bit kind of, mm, I was supposed to be the special one. What's happened? Was actually God's heart is for everybody to be loved, everybody to be part of the family. Mm. And I think it goes back to the kind of what's the climate, what's the atmosphere in your house. For us, one of the values has always been everybody's welcome. Um, and it means Monday morning, ladies, there's everybody's welcome. And that's part of the values of this house, but it's also part of David and I's values. Ice. That, that doesn't mind my dodgy Finnish English. Um, but everybody's welcome. And there is something that just it just breaks the atmosphere. There's no division when everybody's welcome. Whereas when you start to 
say it's only for so-and-so, then division starts to come up. And that's, I guess that was part of the problem in the early church when the Jews and the Greeks were saying, oh, my widows aren't being yeah. looked after as well as your widows. There was the walls were starting to come back up. But the solution was actually, rather than they came up with a solution that actually took away the division and created the way for something better and bigger. Mm. Um, I think I'm going down a rabbit hole here, so. <laughs> I'll continue to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the Acts um, really shows uh, that for the first time, divisions between Jews and Gentiles were broken, but also that there are subtle references to, to where divisions between men and women are overcome as well. You know, um, the, the women in Acts are, are just as significant as the men in terms of what, the, what account is given of, of their acts, uh, and I think that's really valuable to get from Acts as well. When Jesus left this earth, he said to the disciples that he will send one who will stay with them, who will reside with them, who will show them the way, who will teach them. Uh, and he meant the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the acts of the, possible, uh, the apostles came from that place, didn't it? Of, of having an indwelling Holy Spirit, uh, an anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a being, not a doing. You know? There's something about households that, that as Laura described, that are ready, ready to receive. Um, that's a similar way to, to how we receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit stays with us, you know? Uh, we, we are, if, if you like, we are a household to the, to the Holy Spirit. Uh, and when we say you're welcome in this place, you know, that's, that's what we're saying, isn't it? And the Holy Spirit stays with us, goes with us, and does with us. But first of all, uh, we, have to, we have to let the Holy Spirit be. Uh, so even with the Holy Spirit, there's a sense of, of being, of residing, indwelling, remaining, sticking around um, before we act. And I think with the part of kind of everybody is welcome, everybody is part of the family. It, that's what, how church was meant to be. It was meant to be family. There is a reason why they write the letters and call each other brother and sister. There is a connection. And we are meant to, as a group of believers, we are meant to replicate that. And it, it, that's what Jesus talked about. Mm. By your love mm. for each other, the world will know you. Um, and family is a funny thing because there is a resemblance and there's similarity. Um, and even though to me, me and my, all of my sisters, we look very different, there is a resemblance. And I had the advantage of being the eldest, so there was nobody I was compared to. But my younger sisters for years, wherever they went, they kind of, the ones who are kind of closer to me in age, they just got confused to being me. Hmm. And the younger ones, they kind of thought, are you sister of so-and-so? But there's a family resemblance that goes with that, and I think it's, it's the same with us, when we're part of family, we carry the love for each other, and it should spill out to outside the family as well. That's why it is the whole household, it's not just the family. It goes beyond the blood relations, it includes the servants, it includes friends. So it's, it's not just your nearest and dearest, it is everybody you come in contact with. And there is a side that I think Anybody who's kids or has worked with kids, um, 
you know, it's usually quicker to do the job yourself, isn't it? Rather than ask a child to do something. But actually, it's not about the speed of how, how you do something. It's about the process of doing mm. together. And so at church, there probably would be many things that we could do better if it just got the best person to do it. Whereas actually, we are called to be a family and do things together. And it's in that doing together that our relationships with each other grow and our love for each other grow. And I was thinking, I've probably shared this before, uh, but my mum comes from farming background. Um, and none of my mum's siblings took on the farm, but their cousin carried on farming. Um, and when I was a little girl, it was still kind of in the era when quite a lot of farming or haymaking was done manually. So you'd have a tractor that went along and cut the hay, but then you were there physically with forks, putting it on stakes. And then once the hay was dry, you would again manually pick it up and put it on a wagon. But everybody had a role when you were doing that. And then I remember I must have been around 10 when they bought a baling machine. And everybody was so excited about this new machine that could do everything that before it used to be the family holiday, used to be kind of all the siblings and their kids and the cousins would come together for a long week when the weather was good and we would do the hay together. And it would literally, everybody had a job. So men would be do, doing the kind of heavy lifting and throwing the hay about. And the kids, even we had a role. So you're either on top of the hay wagon, jumping down the hay and compressing it. If you're trusted enough, you were allowed to sit in a tractor because the fields are long and straight. So your job was just to keep the tractor straight until it got to the end and then a grown-up came and turned it around. But there was, I have some very lovely memories of just doing that together with these random cousins and second cousins and whatever cousins that I would have never met if it wasn't for that. And now, 30 odd years later, there's one machine that does it all, that needs one person to operate it. And I think you've lost something of the community and family through that. And it's not about... The machine undoubtedly does a better job, but it doesn't create family, it doesn't create community. And I think sometimes we forget that as a church as well, that we could, there probably would be an amazing person who could do something. Mm. But we were all called to be family and do it together. Mm. It is a good word, yeah. Hmm. One thing I've learned um, as a father is to not be alarmed when, when my kids struggle um, and find things difficult. Um, when we're alarmed, often through fear, we, we, our heart is to take that away from them, as, as Laura described, you know, to, to do it for them or to, to make the, the struggle go away quickly. So we treat a struggle like a crisis, but a struggle isn't a crisis. And actually, a struggle is not a sin. Um, it's really important that we don't see people's struggles as sin. Um, it, it's different, and it's also different to crisis. So instead of um, making it stop uh, when we encounter struggle, uh, we should actually encourage them to keep going, not stop it, you know, stop struggling, actually encourage them to, to keep going. The other, the other tendency we have when we encounter struggle is, um, um, I can't remember. 
Um, the other <laughs> Thankfully, I wrote it down. <laughs> the other tendency we have is to, um, as well as wanting to stop it, is, is to send the person away. Uh, so, you know, somebody struggling at work will, will be encouraged to go on the sick for a long time, or, or somebody struggling will be encouraged to go and sort it out themselves, you know, go and have some time to yourself, come back when you're better sort of approach. And it is a natural tendency for us to do that. And it, in some cases, that's possibly the right advice. But, but actually, when people are struggling, they need to know that you're with them. So rather than say, go away, actually, my, the response I've learned is, is to say, I'm with you. And actually, that's the response from my father. You know, when I struggle with things, God never tells me to stop, and he never tells me to go away. He says, keep going, and he says, I'm with you. Uh, that's a real life lesson that, that I've learned. Um, and, and consequently, as a father in this church, uh, and I'm married to a real mother of, of this church in Beth, who is not here today because she's being an actual mother to an actual son <laughs> and videoing him at a football match. Long story, I won't go into it. Um, you know, as a father of this church, more and more I find myself being church rather than doing church. And by that I mean um, being church to people who are struggling, people who are struggle struggling perhaps to, to be at the church, but they are still church. Um, I spend a lot of time with people who, who are going through struggles. Um, and the first thing I, I convey to them is that it's not a, it's not a sin, you know, and I, I, I don't want to fix it for them straight away. Actually, brain, brain science tells us and shows us that when we struggle, that's when we're, our synapses are firing and connecting more, and that's when we're learning more. So you could argue that struggle is a good thing. It doesn't feel very good, does it? But, but ultimately, it's how we grow and how we learn and how we get wisdom. Oh, I had a very good thought to follow that with, come on, and come it's, on. it's escaped my mind. Struggling. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it is about what we as a church family and what we as individual families, what do we host? Is it the love of the Father that people sense when they walk through these doors or when they walk through our home? Um, and I'm sure you've been to people's homes and you feel... Some, some houses are very peaceful, some houses are very joyful, some houses are very loving. And you end up making a comment to a person, your house is so mm. dot, dot, dot. That there is, each one of us, we carry an atmosphere with us. And I think my challenge for you would be, what is the atmosphere you carry? And what is the atmosphere we as a collective carry? And I think that's, for me, as reading through Acts is so much about us and very little about me. And I think that's partly, part, partly, partly a cultural thing in the West. It's very much me, me, me. I'm doing this for me. Whereas the mindset of the early church was we are doing it th this for us. Mm. And I think that's the kind of culture shift. And it's difficult when you're surrounded by the culture everywhere around you that is about me, me, me. But actually, it's very powerful when people see that you care about them. And I remember when um, I was still doing my PhD when Henrik was born, and the ladies, the Love in Action group, that wasn't, it was just a random group them with that beautiful name, <laughs> cooked meals. And 
I had a couple of the girls came to see me quite shortly after Henrik was born, and they were just amazed that these people who were not even related to me would actually cook a meal and bring it to me. Just do it because they loved me. There was no, apart from obviously getting baby cuddles, there was no other motive for doing it, but they just wanted to bless you. Mm. And I think people notice that when you care for them. Mm. And I think that's kind of, for me, that's the message to take home, is that it shows what's in your heart. The out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. Mm. And same for your actions, out of the overflow of what's in your home, your actions will be outside your home. Mm. So, yeah. on that bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> so, learn to be household, learn to be family, then you can carry household and carry family, and do household and do family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Learn to be with the Holy Spirit, then you can carry Holy Spirit and do Holy Spirit works. Learn to be love, then you can carry love and do love. Um, but it comes from that indwelling, comes from a sense of being, which we get from our Father. Hmm. One of the greatest examples of, of this, of, of God being concerned with our household, God being concerned with the everyday mundane things, is um, from knowing Mark and Rebecca Simpson for many years. Um, if you don't know them, uh, they're part of our church. Rebecca has had cancer now for um, the best part of 10 years. Um, and she's, she's actually written a book, which is at the back there. If you haven't bought it, I'd recommend it. And it has yeah. beautiful illustrations. <laughs> Um, by an amazing artist. I'd recommend it for, t <laughs> for two reasons. Um, that it's a really good book. Um, it's, a, it's an incredible read. The other reason is, if you buy it, it really encourages them. Because Rebecca has really put her heart into that book. You know, So you, you will encourage them. And if you read it as well as buy it, you'll get a lot from it. It's not always easy reading. Uh, but the best books aren't, are they? Um, but what I get when I read that book um, is a real sense of what God has done in the, in the private times, in the quiet times, in the hidden times, in the invisible times, you know, um, and what God has done for that family, with that family, and is continuing to do with that family in those times. And it really comes out in that book. Uh, I've learned so much from, from them and from that book. So I'd recommend that book yeah uh, one final it's almost a hobby horse but it's not nearly got through the whole thing with a hobby horse <laughs> um, but I had Lydia um, one of the things after Paul and Silas speak to the women Lydia receives God I think he's wanted the mic but the f one of the first things she does is actually invites Paul and Silas to her house. Um, and I think for years I used to have a mindset of, if God really wants something to happen, it will happen, without me doing anything. Um, and God's really... Did you, say that, did you say that was a, like a 
Finnish cultural it, thing? I think it's partly a Finnish cultural thing, because in Finland, if you don't have anything to say, you don't say anything. <laughs> um, so people are just not being rude, they just don't have anything to say. But there's almost the side that if, if somebody wants me, they'll come and get me. Or if, they're kind of, if somebody needs me, they'll ask, ask me. So I think it's, it was partly a cultural thing. But I had this whole mindset of if, kind of, if God really wants you me to be friends with that person, they'll come and talk to me. Whereas actually, there is a side that God's prepared the door. Yeah. I just need to push the door open. Right. And there was me standing by the door and just waiting for it to open, like open sesame. And I think for me, that was the wonderful thing with Lydia was, it's basically a shy bent getting out. She went and asked, do you want to come and stay in my house? But what it meant, Paul and Silas went there and her home became a place of meeting in this city that had no place of meeting. Mm. Because then it, if you read the chapter further on, Paul and Silas were thrown in prison. Um, they worship in prison, the doors open, there's an earthquake or whatever. Mm. The prison guard is ready to kill himself because that's, that was the, if your prisoners escaped, you had to pay for it with your life. Whereas, as we know the story, they were still there and led the whole household of the prison guard to God. Mm -hmm. But then the very last line is they went back to Lydia's house and shared with the brothers in her home. And there was, if she hadn't invited them, they wouldn't have had the place of refuge and the city wouldn't have the place of meeting. Yeah. So there is kind of, there is sometimes there's a good kind of season of waiting and being patient, but there is another time where you do have to just go and ask. And just, if there's something you feel like your household needs, or you need, just go and ask for it. Um, there's no glory in suffering in silence. So go and talk to people. But that, that was my hobby horse, is kind of, I think it's partly because I used to suffer for so many years of just, if God wants it to happen, it will happen. Mm. Whereas actually, he did give us, give us a free will and kind of pointed out that he did it quite a few times as well. <laughs> so that was my hobby horse. Be less Finnish. Be less Finnish, I think. <laughs> I think Dave and Lynn have been to Finland and they've concluded that I'm not very Finnish anymore. They met, <laughs> they met some of my sisters um, and I'm unfinished. So, I'm unfinished. <laughs> Maybe that's a good place to... Possibly. Finish. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good finished choke. Um, would you all like to stand up and we can pray? And I'm sure we can, if somebody wants prayer individually, we can come and pray as well. Hmm. So, Father, we just thank you for the privilege it is to be a family together that you called us to be brothers and sisters, that you called us to be carriers of your love mm. and to be loved by you so that we can love others. Mm. And Father, we just come, just ask that you just break off any bad mindset of what families that we have. That in your loving kindness and mercy, just reveal us what does it mean to be a family. What does it mean to be loved? Mm. What does it mean when we pray, our Heavenly Father, that you are our Heavenly Father?
And Lord, show us through your Holy Spirit how you are with us in our struggles and through our struggles. Hmm.